We're gonna, this is the last week in a sermon series called A Pastoral Letter. I've explained this to you every week. I'm gonna do it one more time. I, this is something that God held my heart for a while, and I wasn't sure where we were gonna go next. And then the Lord's like, we're gonna, you're gonna do the thing I told you to do. That's what I've been doing. And uh, I think I shared this with you. I know I did. But these are the things I'd want any of you to know or think about this, my own kids, my grandson, Nico. What I'd like him to know about the faith in Jesus Christ, and, uh, and so we've kind of talked about all these things. Uh, the, the first week we talked about this idea of trusting Jesus, and that's a simple concept. It takes a lifetime of discipline to do that, to really do it, to really trust Jesus. And then uh, we, we talked about um, second week, talking with God, and that's just literally conversations, right? Uh, I heard someone quote me, uh, I think it was in a Bible study or somewhere, I can't remember where we were, but someone said, I don't, I, I, I'll pray, but I'm not sure. And someone said, the, only right, the wrong way to do it is to not do it. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not sure to quote me, but that's a great quote. Uh, I use that, and I, I probably stole it from somebody else. So uh, there's no, I love that, that there's no right or wrong way to talk to God. Um, he is willing to hear the cries of his people in celebration, distress. And, and then we talked about the spirit of God, uh, even bringing our, our burdens through groans and utterances that cannot be verbalized. Um, so we talked about that. And then last week, uh, we talked about remembering the gospel, which is a strange thing, but I, I, we talked about this idea that we have to always remind ourselves, and, and a dear friend of mine said to me this week, they, that, that came to mind that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves, right? Like, remind ourselves what the gospel is for our own sake, lest we think that we are holier than we are, and for the sake of others, lest we lose hope that that God can continue or God will continue to work in our lives and theirs. And so we remember the gospel is about Christ being good enough and not about us. So just simply trust Jesus, talk to God, remember the gospel. That's kind of the more, and I felt bad last week, a lot of scripture in there. And, uh, and this last two weeks, I was kind of debating which order these should go in. So I'll kind of say no uncertain order. This might have been week three. It's going to be week four, as you know, because you're here. Um, and it's this uh, simple idea from Scripture to walk in the Spirit. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to ask you to do what we always do at Family Bible before we enter in God's Word. I'm going to ask you to pray with me uh, together. Father God, we thank you for this morning, another day, to arise again and worship you to draw breath in our lungs and celebrate the life that you've given to us uh, in this time and, that, and then to, to just walk with you today. We ask that you would be our teacher. We ask, Father, that you, the one who uh, compelled, spoke your word, compelled it to be written, uh, compel us to understand it, that you would help us to do that work, that you would be our teacher today, that um, you would be our counselor and our wisdom giver. And Father, that we would grow because we've encountered you, that we would grow closer to you. Help us to do the work that only you can do, Father, these, these things that we can't do of our own. And um, for the things of the world that maybe are, are pressing on our minds, I pray that today we might get a vision for opportunities that you've given us to walk in faith in these moments of our lives. Help us this morning to set aside this time to you. We ask you to do this work in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to start with a psalm, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all 
nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly, and you guide the nations of the earth. Selah. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. 67th Psalm. It's been including one of those beginning and the end uh, of, these, um, of these messages. It's so, so, so beautiful um, to just read and listen uh, to the songs of God, the poetry of God. Um, we're going to uh, start in Romans 8 uh, with kind of an, a con- concept. Um, I'm not sure if the, uh, we're going to be Romans 8, verse 9. I'm not sure if the, the, the thing, this, con- this topic today has been over-talked about or under-talked about in the church. I often feel like it's under-talked about, but maybe it's not. And that's the idea of the Spirit of God. Um, many uh, traditions, depending on how you were raised, may have had very strong opinions about the Spirit of God. We, last week, were out at the uh, See You at the Pole prayer rally. If you prayed with the students that morning, I appreciate you doing that. Um, and, but we were out there praying, and one of the things that was such a blessing, and it was that the, some of the students spoke to God in an intimate way, in a way that was uncomfortable for some of us. You know, we thought, well, where are the, and can I confess something? I didn't even pray. I mean, I prayed. I didn't say anything. Because I'm like, this is a student-led prayer time. And in the awkwardness and the silence, just when you thought nothing would be said, the Spirit of God moved, as I would say, amongst his people, and I was stunned. One of the other leaders who's around these students all the time actually prayed that. God, I am stunned to hear what you've captured in these young people's hearts at the flagpole on a school day. It was beautiful. You're used to these trite things, but it was deep and meaningful. And so with this idea of the Spirit of God, I want to just look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Let's back up to verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by your sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his indwelling spirit who lives in you. Okay, Romans, man. We're doing a Roman study at our, our small group. It's so good. But this idea, there's a concept in here I want to pull out just for the sake of conversation. It's this. And well, you can see it there. It says, uh, the Spirit of God lives in you, 
right? Paul says to the church, the spirit of God does in fact live in you. And then says in verse, what is it, nine? Uh, no, it's eight. If, if, the spirit, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead to sin. So he's like basically saying this about the spirit of God. If the spirit of God isn't in you, Christ isn't in you. Now, we can get into some conversations about semantics here, about Christ being the anointing and all that. I understand it, right? Christ is not the second name of Jesus. It's the, it's the Messiahship role he has. But he's saying something powerful. And lest you think that this is only here, it's not only here. Um, and I'm reminded in John chapter 17, when Jesus prays his prayer to the Father in front of the disciples, he says, my prayer is that I would be in them and they would be in me as I am in you and you are in me. There's this unity in Jesus Christ where God dwells in us. And here in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, it's the spirit of God or the spirit of Christ that's dwelling in us now. Shockingly, giving life to our mortal bodies. So this idea of being born of the Spirit or having the Spirit in us. Okay. So I say that because some of us have traditions where you go, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not comfortable with the Spirit idea. What's the Spirit of God? I want to point something else out to you, and it comes right at the end there in verse 11, and I hope you caught it with me. It says, the Spirit who is in you. Not the Spirit that it is. But the person of the Spirit of God is dwelling in us. Make a big deal of this because this is a huge, I call it an unlock in our spiritual life, our life of faith in Jesus Christ. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Um, one of the Psalms that I read says, um, the world chases after gods of gold and silver, but those gods cannot speak, cannot see, cannot Listen, <laughs> it's a living relationship. The Spirit of God dwells in us. And that's what it says there, right? Who lives in you. If you're comfortable with that idea, praise God and good, right? Maybe you've had that taught to you a lot. <laughs> and so you're like, I know the Spirit lives in me. And so maybe in you know, somewhat you teach us and also maybe, you know, back down a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> but if some of us who's less comfortable with this idea go, what? It's not just this intellectual agreement that Jesus died for my sin, but if I don't have the spirit in me, then Christ isn't in me. That ought to kind of wake up our faith a little bit. Indeed, Paul says here that we then no longer have a mind controlled by the sinful nature that is the flesh, but rather by the spirit of God in us. How awesome is that? And then we talked about this on the week in talking to God in prayer but verse 27 of chapter 8 says this, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. In the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So Jesus said this, he said, When the Counselor comes, I'm going to go and sit at the right hand of the Father, and when the Counselor comes, he will give you all wisdom. So there's a full expectation that Jesus has for his people that the Spirit of God will rest on his people. And here in Romans 8, at the end, we see that the Spirit is the Spirit of God that knows God and intercedes on our behalf and knows our hearts. Okay, so I'm just going to lay that down, the Spirit of God. 
knows the thoughts of God, the spirit of God, the word says is interceding for us. And Paul says, dwelling in us. That's just a little bit of background, okay? If you're not comfortable, I would encourage you just to be open to that idea. Is it possible the spirit of God's dwelling in me and I have the opportunity to, to live differently because of the spirit of God? So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. We're going to spend most of our time here today. We won't be jumping around so much as we did last week. I felt kind of bad about that. Um, but Galatians 5, and you all probably have heard this uh, verse before. Starting in verse 16, we're going to couple a couple verses we're going to pick up, you know, in a moment with the rest. So I, I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Live by the Spirit uh, is this idea that we are invited to walk in the Spirit. One of my favorite Greek words, and I'm going to share a Greek word with you today, it's one of my favorite Greek words, uh, is peripateo. <laughs> And I told someone uh, that this week. I said, my favorite Greek word is peripateo. And they asked, um, what, uh, what does it mean? And peri means around, and pateo means to walk. And uh, I just heard a baby uh, vocalizing. Is that Franklin or someone else? I don't know who it was, or maybe it was Lucas, someone. And I thought, that's what I think of. I think of little pitter-pattering baby feet, Right? Walk in the Spirit of God. I love that imagery of walking in the Spirit of God because it's an invitation to try. It's an invitation to walk around. You know, you think of a lake, like a perimeter of a lake, you're going to walk around in the Spirit of God. In your actual real life, you're going to try. And you think about a baby walking, peripateo, pitter-patter, pitter-patter. See, there we go, vocalization. Pitter-patter, and, and, and they fall. But that's okay, because they're trying. <laughs> they're learning. We sing these songs, we sang one this morning about holiness, and you think, man, I'm not doing good enough. And I'm going to cover some texts today that I would almost guarantee might raise that feeling in you that you weren't doing good enough. But I want to say, peripateo, walk by the Spirit is an invitation or walk in the Spirit to try, to learn like an infant learning to walk, peripateo. My, uh, my friend that I, I don't know who it was, I really don't know who it was, uh, said, so here's another idea I have, is old boots, <laughs> some old boots. And um, my friend said, uh, when I said, my favorite Greek word is peripateo, he said, um, parapotatoes, these aren't potatoes because we don't have any potatoes, but we got tomatoes. So I brought a pair of tomatoes this morning because I thought that was really funny. Wait, to remember that Greek word, a pair of potatoes, a pair of potatoes. So if that helps you remember to walk in the spirit, yeah, okay. 
the old pair of potatoes. But I thought about these old boots because these boots aren't my boots. Actually, these boots are my dad's boots, right? And the problem with these boots, they're super awesome. They're super old. I had them rehealed and all that stuff. But the problem is they don't, they don't really fit, you know? Like these, this is my jam. I was raised on these, right? I bought these because that's all we could afford back in the day. Whenever the Air Jordans were coming out, I had these $14 shoes. So I kind of go back to not $14 anymore, right? Uh, but these, these are something else. Oh, my goodness. And every time I wear these, and I do wear them from time to time, my wife says, you look awesome. That's not what she says. She says, Bill, you look kind of ridiculous. And I walk around in my boots, and I can kind of choke my, my over them. But you see what I'm saying? But they don't quite fit. They just, everything about them is not exactly good. And yet, I try. And I walk around in them. Yeah. Just to try. There's a tendency I have to go back to what I'm comfortable with. But the word says to walk in the spirit of God. And that's a challenge. I have a tendency to think about um, what I'm used to or what I've always known, the things I ought to be, uh, the things I'd rather be doing. But the word says no, no. And, I, and I'm being silly about the boots, right? But it's like your, dad, your dad's boots, you know, the spirit of God. Not the spirit of flesh, not, not the, the things that we have always tended to do, but to put on something new and to walk in a new way with God every day. An invitation to see with new eyes what God is doing. As a matter of fact, as I was thinking about this uh, message, I think that's one of the simplest ways to parapeteo, to walk around the Spirit of God, is to ask a question in the middle of whatever you're going through God, what are you doing? What are you doing? See, not, not what, what am I doing or how can I fix it, or, but just to stop in the middle of whatever we're experiencing and say, okay, okay, because the world's going to be screaming at you to pay attention to the world, pay attention to the world, and say, stop. God, what are you doing in all of this? I think that's an invitation to walk in the Spirit. Paul says, then, I say, peripteo, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Other places that Paul says that the Spirit... And the sin nature are at war, right? And that we're invited to walk in the spirit of God, to walk around in the spirit of God. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want, right? But if you're led by the spirit... You are no longer under the law. So we're, we're just going to let that sit. But I want to read on now. Which, so what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? Because it doesn't mean we're perfect and we're doing it perfectly. But this is what Paul then breaks down here. He says this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. 
drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Paul says these are acts, notice that, of the sinful nature. Now we're going to come back around and we're going to talk about the peripateo. Actually, we're not. We're going to talk about the fruit of the spirit. A pair of potato, pair of potatoes, pair of tomatoes. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look at this. Against such things there is no law. You can't possibly break the rules when you're bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So that's the rest of this idea. So, parapeteo, walk around the spirit of God, being attentive to what God is doing in our lives and the lives of others. It doesn't mean we are God, but it means he is dwelling with us, right? And then he says these two categories. There are, are um, acts of the flesh, and there are fruit of the spirit. Let me say that again. There are acts of the flesh, and there is fruit of the spirit, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Working through, then, I think these aren't... We, how many of you know that list of the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit? You've heard it before, right? Almost everyone's heard it. Yeah, you're going to raise your hand. You're like, I, I got it. Many of us have memorized those fruit, that fruit, and what it would... Um, uh, what it ought to look like. And I've told you this before. I know I have. Many times over the years I've been here. But it's not something that you... We muster to bear, right? It's a sign, it's a demonstration that the Spirit of God is controlling us. This is why this is hard. So what I think about this like this. I think about, I've said it before, it's like dash lights on your car, you know, change your oil, overheating. <laughs> Some are more serious than others, right? But here's another way to think about it. How many of you played the game Red Light, Green Light, Right? Super fun, yeah. And so someone's like, uh, green light, and you start running, and then red light, and you stop, right? That's kind of what this stuff is in our lives, in my estimation. When you have the green light of the Spirit of God, you can run into that stuff. And when you see the acts of sinful nature in your life, and if you're like me, you will, you stop. Stop. Paul says there's a battle going on in these things, this is for the church, and what, what would it look like then to stop? What would we stop? Here's the list. Uh, sexual immorality in our life. That should make us stop. God, what are you doing? What's going on in my life? Um, going down the list, uh, impurities, <laughs> like, like just anything that contaminates us, stop. Debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, that's false gods. W wanting some other spirit besides the spirit of God to, to discern, to help us know what's coming. And you might get through that and you go, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Look at the list. Hatred. I don't hate anybody. Do you hate anybody? Hmm. 
Sometimes you get goaded into hating people. Stop. Stop. It's a sign. Then you go down the list. Well, you don't hate anybody. Well, maybe. I mean, discord. <laughs> Just disagreement. A jealousy. You find yourself being jealous of something. Stop. Oof, now we're getting into my, I'm not, I got all these problems, church, but now we're getting right in there, right in my business, fits of rage. Ooh, stop. You ever have that <laughs> moment? It's just like, I've had enough. Man, in our life, the Spirit's like, stop. It shouldn't be in there. By the way, this idea of walking in the Spirit, peripateoing in the Spirit, means that we, we also ought to thank God when we see these acts of sinfulness. Because it's him that's showing them to us. It's, it's, it's he who's in, in showing us, instructing us, that these, are, these ought not to be. Acts of rage, selfish ambition, it's all about me. Dissensions. Factions, you know, whispering campaign. They're on the wrong side. Stop. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And other such things. <laughs> what? These are acts of the flesh. Paul would say this. In other places, these are things that you lived in, all of us did before we knew Christ. Remember? None of us are righteous, not even one. And yet now, in him, in Christ, we have a spirit that will show us these acts of our sinful nature. We ought to stop. Red light, don't go. Slow down. We ought not be racing headlong into sin and um, wanton behavior. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, Paul says, as I said before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hmm. Now, there's a whole lot in there I'm not going to unpack this morning because I think the, what we're going to turn to is the spirit because it says the word, next word is but, <laughs> the fruit of the spirit. So we're going to sidestep that conversation. I'm not afraid to have it, but isn't it interesting? He says, people who continually live like that will not. It's not you, you might still, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? It, it could mean that, you know, you can screw this up and you're out. It could mean that. Or it can mean that if you're in Christ, you won't continue to do these things. They ought to be a wake-up call in our lives. So just like the acts of the flesh, when we see them, we ought to stop. We ought to stop, and we ought to thank God that he showed us those things. Now, what? Walk in the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and this is why I keep stumbling my words here, it's a single fruit. It's a list of these things, but it demonstrates one thing, that God's Spirit is bearing fruit in our lives. So here are the indicators Love. We sang that song this morning, and Emily read the text from um, 1 Corinthians 13. But I love that, that without love we're nothing. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. <laughs> Point to Mike, because he's always that guy. He's always going, I need the joy of God in my life. 
Why? It's a sign of the Spirit of God. And when, and what Mike will say is, I feel like I'm losing my joy, he knows that's a big deal because it's a fruit of the Spirit in his life that God has given him joy. So we ought to pay attention. Here's one, peace. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. How many of us run around with anxious lives? Ooh, no peace. One of the Psalms that I read recently, because I've just finished them, right, is um, uh, the world, they have no peace. There's no peace. I thought of Jesus when he shows up after resurrection. He says what? Peace be with you, right? We ought, we ought to have peace in our lives in some way or a, a, a growing measure of peace. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit, a sign that the Spirit of God is at work. Here's another one. Patience. Patience is a sign of the Spirit. Next, kindness. Kindness is a a fruit of the Spirit. It's proof of fruit of the Spirit. Uh, goodness, yeah. Faithfulness, right? I love that um, faithfulness is most important whenever, like, it's the hardest thing. <laughs> I'm just going to be faithful. That's the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. A gentleness with each other, others. A gentleness with ourselves, and then, lastly, self-control. That God has given us the ability to control ourselves. That's no one else's fault, right? We choose how we act, and we choose how we react. But I would say, I would say cautiously, not of your own self, but of the spirit. It's the spirit of self-control, the spirit of God, self-control, not our own. Then he says, there's no law against these things. So in other words, if you're worried about screwing up and not getting the kingdom of heaven, an ever-increasing indicator of the spirit of God in our lives is indication that we are inheriting the kingdom of God. So red light, green light, go, go, go. There's no law against that. Go as fast as you can into those things. When you see them, celebrate them. Thank God for them. Just like we do about the acts of the sinful nature, we thank God that we know about it, but we don't continue in those things, but then we use, uh, that's not the right word, we live, we dwell in the Spirit of God in those moments. Okay. Walk in the Spirit of God. I think I've said this to you before, and I, I know I have, and that we talked about it at Bible study, so things are kind of running together a bit, but um, in my own life, God has been very graceful and not perfectly so. In other words, he's perfectly graceful, but I'm not perfectly obedient. But whenever I start to have struggles, he shows me and I quicken the cycle of recognizing the spirit of God in those moments. Does that make sense? In other words, when you find yourself in sin, you're not alone in sin. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest tricks of the devil is that whenever you discover sin in your life or you have conviction of sin in your life, that you actually pull back from God in the moment you need him the most, right? You pull away from him and you think that you're alone with your sin because the devil loves to say that there's nothing you can do about it. But it's not true. Christ died for your sin. If Christ is in you, the spirit of God is in you. And you can parapeteo, you can walk through that sin in the spirit. Don't believe the liar. You are not abandoned in your sin. So we have this 
Those who belong to Christ, verse 24, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, right? Putting sin to death. Christ did it in fact on the cross. He put the sin to death. One of my favorite songs is um, that song that we sing that says, uh, uh, the Lord, the man Jesus Christ put death in its grave, right? He, he killed sin and death. Not he, he died to sin and death, but he, he, he ended it. And yet, in our lives, the sin nature still lives. So, like him, we put to death the sinful nature in Christ with his passions and desires. Don't misread this and think that means we have no passions and desires. That's not true. Because we walk in the Spirit. I'm convinced of this, and I'm learning this lesson myself that one of the lies that we believe is that we're missing more by giving up sin than we're gaining in getting Christ or the Spirit of God. I'm learning this, that the life in the Spirit is more abundant than a life in our sinful nature. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's this idea that's an ongoing process of living each day in the Spirit of God. Let us not become conceited, that's a great word, and provoking and envying one another. So don't be prideful in our, right? That's the, one of the weird things about church is like, you know, you can prove you have more spirit than I do. Not really helpful. <laughs> but live in the spirit of God. I love that idea. Walking around, seeing the signs Okay, so that's it, right? So now, I want to, uh, a final example that I think is so powerful in how this can work in our lives. And it's from the Gospel of Luke chapter four. I'm gonna invite you to turn there with me. Luke chapter four. Verse 14, Luke four. Verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Hmm. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. He'd been raised there. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his Habit, is that word? And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. By the way, just a quick side note, the year of the Lord's favor is the year that all debts are forgiven. Jesus is like, he read that. Now listen to what happens next. Verse 20, when he rolled the scroll up, he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began 
by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows, and there were many widows in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. And they got up and they drove Jesus out of town. They took him to the brow of a hill in which the town was built in order that they might throw him off the cliff. Now, I want to stop right here a minute. This all starts so good for Jesus. He's been healing people, doing good things, and he's in his hometown synagogue, and he has this thing. If you know anything about how they would celebrate in synagogue, there's a spot you read from. We can talk about that, and you don't touch it because it's holy. You have like a holy pointer finger thing, and you point to the text, and you read it perfectly. This is an honor to read the word of God, and he reads it, and then he sets down, and his teaching is, today is fulfilled, and they love it, right? They're excited. But then he starts to articulate how God is going to do certain things for certain people, and they get really unhappy about it. And I'm not going to unpack that too much, but I want you to see that very quickly, the spirit of God that was on Jesus to let him into his hometown, into synagogues, into healings, had now led him to a place where people didn't want to hear anymore. And it says that they took him to the brow, the brow of the hill where the city was built, that they might throw him down the cliff. This was, at best, a severe punishment, at worst, at worst, a death sentence. They intended to severely harm Jesus or kill him, their own uh, son, if you will, local-born son, Joseph's son. But verse 30 trips me out because it says this, but Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. <laughs> Why would I share that? We have a, a couple reasons. The first is this. Jesus himself walked in the spirit of God. Like if you don't, if you think about that, it ought to cause some awe in us, that Jesus, every time we read of his baptism, it says the spirit descended on him like a dove, rested on him, lighted on him. It says that he was led by the spirit. I told you a couple weeks ago, it was his habit to go and talk to God the Father and pray, right? Why, what's Jesus talking to God about when Jesus is God? It's, it's part of who he is. And the spirit of God resting on Jesus Christ in his mortal body, his human body, his fleshly body, is a sign of a faith to us, right? He lives in the spirit. God 
foreordains these moments, that passage, that moment, that day for Jesus. And why I love it so much is at the end, when it looks like death is certain, Jesus walks right through the crowd and went on his way. That is to say, I said you can ask the question, God, what are you doing in the middle of a situation in our life? But I want you to know that in obedience to the Spirit of God, we can walk right through things, things that look like they're going to kill us, right? And, and I believe that that is the Spirit of God resting on Jesus. There's this passage that says, his time had not yet come. We talk about the Spirit of God, walking in the Spirit of God, and it means that there are, we, we believe all the scriptures say our days are numbered. It means, you know, be attentive, your days are numbered, but it also means don't be worried. Your days are numbered. That we have, that all, we have all God has given us in Jesus Christ to live into, to walk into. It's the very power of God in our lives to walk by the Spirit. And, and like Jesus, not that we are Jesus, but like Jesus, we could walk right through a crowd and go on our way because the Spirit of God is leading us. That's beautiful to me. So I would encourage you in your daily life, whatever that looks like, and I actually um, um, put down five places in your life that you could walk in the Spirit of God because some of us need to be more attentive in certain places than others. I, I could have said roles, right, places. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in your relationship with your husband or wife or your parents or your children, right, to in that moment say, wait a minute, God, what are you doing? And walk, peripateo, in the spirit. Maybe it's at work with your colleagues or your boss or your subordinates or the things you're in charge of. Maybe you're overwhelmed, you've had enough and your schedule's too busy. In that moment, can you stop and say, God, what are you doing? And walk in the spirit of God. And then whatever it is, maybe we can walk, carry ourselves with a portion of the elegance, of the determination, of the conviction that Jesus himself carried. Knowing full well, there is coming a day he will pay, but it wasn't today. That wasn't his day. That we can have that kind of confidence as well in what Christ is doing in our lives. So I want to close then with Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare, from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling place, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near to your tent. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot on a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him in the, because he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Pray with me if you would. Father God, for the psalm that speaks so highly of the coming promise that we have in Jesus Christ, the perfection of his sacrifice, and the overwhelming reality of your spirit living in us, we give you thanks and praise that we will get to see with our own eyes the day of our salvation, that you do not leave us in our sin, but you rescue us when we cry out to you. Father God, would you help us in our life, our daily life, as we walk in you. Would you help us, Father God, to um, be obedient to your Holy Spirit? Would you, and maybe we're not even comfortable with that idea, would you help us to open our minds to the possibility that you've been instructing us all along in our hearts? Oh, Father, <laughs> I feel the sin nature. I, I, I know the struggle. Father, help us know your spirit. Help us live in your spirit. And for the ways that we've gotten off track or the things, Father, that we would never claim our own holiness, but we would proclaim Jesus Christ for our sin, that we are invited to live in him, and that we could find our way to walk like a baby, like in your shoes, like tripping and falling though we might. Help us, Father, to walk in the Spirit that we with our own eyes would see the day of our salvation. May you do this work that only you can do in us and among us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.